Father, I do ask you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to give us understanding of how we got where we are as a country, an understanding of how that can change. And Lord, and also we pray not only for, for hope, but also for healing. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, as Don mentioned, this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, where thousands of churches across America are teaching the truth about the sanctity, the sacredness of human life. And uh, if you don't hear the truth about something as emotionally charged and as controversial as abortion in your church, I don't know where else you're really going to hear it. And so I think it's, a, it's a, to me, it's a travesty. There are so many churches this morning not, talk, not talking about this. As I start off this morning, I do want to say to those of you who have been a party to an abortion, either because you had one or because you encouraged someone to have one or because you performed one, I want you to know today that there is full, 100% forgiveness in Christ. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No one needs to walk in the burden, the guilt, and the shame of this sin or any sin. No matter what it is, there's true healing and forgiveness in Christ for everyone who wants it. And I will start this message this way and I will end this message this way because it is so important that nobody leave this place. For those of you online, you don't tune out before you really, we really see uh, the Lord heal those who need healing today. Well, I want to start off by reading a few verses from the Bible and uh, and before I do that, I want to answer the question, why does it even matter what the Bible says? There's a lot of people that it doesn't matter to them. But the reason it matters what the Bible says is because Jesus, the only one who's ever risen from the dead, proving that he is who he says he is, God come in the flesh, he says that the Bible is the word of God. He says of the Old Testament, right in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, that the Old Testament is the word of God down to the smallest part of a letter. It must be accomplished. It's supernatural. It's unstoppable. It's God's word. And he promises the writing of the New Testament, John chapter 14, John chapter 16, that the Holy Spirit would come upon the apostles and guide them in all truth and bring revelation to them even revelation about things yet to come, and they would write the New Testament, and it would be the Word of God. So Jesus, the only one who's ever risen from the dead, proving is who he says is God come to the flesh. He says the Bible is the Word of God. That means that everything it says must be true. So I want to read just three verses before we go any further. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis one twenty seven, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. 
And then Genesis 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood by by man, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. So I just want you to notice three important truths from these three verses. Number one, God is the creator. Number two, he created humans in his own image and likeness. And number three, there are moral absolutes that forbid mankind from killing or taking the life of another human being. So those three principles come from those three verses. But I want you to know something else and that these three principles These principles actually laid the moral framework on which this country was built. The Declaration of Independence states this. And listen carefully to something we've heard many times, but listen and notice. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So these truths actually form the foundation of our country, the Declaration of Independence, and formed our Constitution, the United States Constitution, and actually impacted how our courts All of our court system would make decisions. So the Declaration of Independence really is is a founding document of the United States of America. And by the way, if you don't remember this from, you know, American history, all the original states endorsed it and were required to form governments that were in conformity to the quote-unquote principles of the Declaration of Independence. In fact, do you know that as late as August 21st, 1959, uh, some of you that were born after 1959 don't realize that in 1959, both Hawaii and Alaska became states. That's not that long ago. Before that, there was just 48 states. But as late as August 21st, 1959, Hawaii was admitted into the United States based on the fact that it concurred with, and I quote, the principles of the Declaration of Independence. They had to agree to those principles in order to become part of the United States of America. So the Declaration of Independence, just want you to see the connection here. The Declaration of Independence was based on the Bible. Now, the Articles of Confederation were based on the Declaration of Independence. And then in 1789, the Articles of the Confederation were replaced by the United States Constitution. I just want you to see all that connection. Because now I want to ask the question, so what happened? So what happened for us to get to where we are now as a country? And I really want us to understand this, and so I'm going to walk us through this because there's so many, so many people are just like, ask the question all the time, even in their own mind, what happened? And it's not a mystery. Here's what happened. Within a hundred years from the writing of the Declaration of Independence, by 1871, 
Charles Darwin wrote a book in which he said, and I quote from the book, he said, belief in God, religion, there is no evidence that man was originally endowed with the ennobling belief in the existence of an omnipotent, omnipotent God. I speak of natural selection as an active power or deity. So the, in 1871, the theory of evolution was born, and it began to change a lot of people's views. In fact, one of Darwin's colleagues by the name of Alfred Wallace wrote this, and I quote, Natural selection is supreme. There is a power now not only adequate to direct and regulate all the forces that work in living organisms, but also the fundamental forces of the whole universe. So evolution replaced God in their thinking. Let me give you another key person here during this time. Ernst Haeckel, a German contemporary, German contemporary Charles Darwin. Here's what he wrote, and I quote, With this single argument of evolution, the mystery of the universe is explained. The deity annulled. And a new era of infinite knowledge ushered in. Now we get to 1900, 1900. Friedrich Nietzsche said this before he died, and I quote, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. Fyodor Dostoevsky, the Russian novelist, rightly said, if God does not exist, then everything would be permitted. So what followed? 1933, John Dewey, the father of the modern education system, declared these beliefs in the Humanist Manifesto. And I quote, he said, to establish such a religion of humanism is a major necessity of the present. It's a responsibility that rests on this generation. We, therefore, affirm the following. And then they give their credo. Let me give you the credo of the Humanist Manifesto, 1933. Number one, religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Number two, humanism believes that man is a part of nature and has emerged as a result of a continuous process of evolution. And number three, humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantee of human values. Now, did you hear all that? These are in direct opposition to the principles I just mentioned from the Declaration of Independence, directly opposite, diametrically opposed to those principles of the Declaration of Independence that, are, that come out of the understanding of the Bible. Now, the Humanist Manifesto comes in 1933 and opposes every one of them. The Humanist 
Manifesto says there is no creator. There is no creation of man. Man wasn't created, he evolved. There's no supernatural, it's all natural. And there's no moral absolutes. There's no value in humans any different than animals. Now remember, who promoted this was John Dewey, the father of the modern education system. Now, I just want to, I want to quote something. 1983, John Dunphy wrote an article for the Humanist Journal in which he declared war upon beliefs of Christians. I want, here's what he wrote. 1983, he said, I'm convinced that the battle for humankind's future must be waged and won in the public schools by teachers who correctly perceive their role as the proselytizers of a new faith a religion of humanity that recognizes and respects the spark of what theologians call divinity in every human being. These teachers must embody the same selfless dedication as the most rabid fundamentalist preachers, for they will be ministers of another sort, utilizing the classroom instead of the pulpit to convey humanist values in whatever subject they teach. Regardless of the education level, preschool, daycare, and large state university. And then he goes on to write, the Bible is not merely another book, an outmoded and archaic book, or even an extremely influential book. It, it, it is and remains an incredibly dangerous book. It and the various Christian churches which are parasitic upon the Bible have been directly responsible for, mo- for most of the wars persecutions, and outrages which humankind has perpetrated upon itself over the past 2,000 years, unquote. So now they clearly have stated their strategy. Use the public schools to teach humanism and to undermine the truth of the Declaration of Independence that was founded upon the Bible. You tell me, has their strategy been working? Humanism has by far been conquering America. So I want to show you the flow now of what happened. Because again, the question, what happened, is not, is not a mystery what happened. From 1961 to 1982, every major Supreme Court decision favored secular humanism and declared it, is the, as it as the official religion of the American public schools. Let me prove it to you. 1961, Torcastle versus Watkins. Secular humanism was named by the Supreme Court in 1961 as a religion in America protected by the First Amendment. Secular humanism that says the Declaration of Independence is wrong is given First Amendment rights under the Constitution of the United States, 1961. 1962, just one year later, Engel versus Vitale. Class prayers are banned from public schools. 1962. 1963, 
Class Bible reading is now forbidden in all public schools. A lot of younger people had no idea that in 1960, before 62 and 63, there was prayer in school and Bible reading in school right here in America. In fact, I actually have a copy of the Bible, the, the primer that was read in the Dallas schools before 1962. Public schools. But that's now changed. That's, that's 62, 63. Now let's jump to 1968. The Supreme Court rules that evolution could be taught in the public schools and no school could forbid it. 1968. Now we get to 1973. Roe versus Wade. The first great ethical implication of these decisions are now is now come about. Remember what the decisions have been. You can't teach about God. You can't teach that man was made in the image and likeness of God. And now before you're born, you're not human. And your life is not in the image of God. And the unborn can now be killed. Do you see the process of how it got to that place? 1980. Getting closer. Stone versus Graham. Teachers had posted Ten Commandments on the bulletin board. They weren't reading them. They weren't speaking them out loud. They weren't saying people should believe them. They just posted them on a bulletin board in the school. This makes it to the Supreme Court. 1980, Stone versus Graham, the Supreme Court ruled that it was a violation of the First Amendment and forbid the posting of the Ten Commandments on bulletin boards in all the public schools in America. 1982, Judge William Overton, appointed by Jimmy Carter, president then, ruled that it is unconstitutional to permit the teaching of creation alongside the teaching of evolution in public schools. It's unconstitutional to teach creation alongside evolution in public schools, 1982. Now, why did he rule that way? Because creation implies a creator. It's supernatural. And that's all religion, and you can't teach religion in public schools anymore. Now, I want you just to think about the insanity of this. The incredible implication of that decision is this that the Declaration of Independence is ruled unconstitutional. Did y'all get that? He just made a ruling of something being unconstitutional. What he ruled against was a creator, a creation, supernatural, and moral absolutes. He just ruled against it and called it unconstitutional. He basically is saying that the Declaration of Independence, which the Constitution is based on, the Declaration of Independence is unconstitutional. Now, here's the irony of ironies. In William Overton's courtroom in 1982, during that trial, that eventually ruled against permitting creation to be taught alongside evolution in the public schools. During that trial, every day during that trial, the marshal, U.S. marshal, would come in to the courtroom. He'd have everybody stand, and he would say these words. God save the United States in this honorable court. 
How insane is this? The very courtroom that ruled you cannot teach creation because that would mean you have a creator every day in that courtroom ask the creator for help. Since 1973, 64 million babies have been killed in America. You know, Hitler killed 6 million Jews, and we rightly consider him to be one of the most barbaric men who's ever lived. But since 1973, America has killed 64 million unborn babies. That's the ethical implication of secular humanism that flowed out of the belief of evolution. That's how we got where we got as a country. You know, I think it's crazy. I was talking to someone not very long ago that had a squirrel in their house. And it was in the walls, and they, you know, they were figuring out what to do. They were thinking about how they can kill the squirrel because, you know, it's all in the walls. And he found out that you're not allowed to kill the squirrel. You have to call animal control. You can't poison the squirrel. You can't shoot the squirrel. Animal control is to come out without poison or shooting, and remove the squirrel. You don't want the squirrel in your house, then animal control will come remove it for you, but you can't kill it. But if you have a baby in your womb you don't want, you can kill it. And the government will help you. That's where America has come. Some years ago, 16,000 aborted babies were found in a storage container in California. The ACLU shows up and opposes any religious services or planned burial of these victims of abortion. Now, why is the ACLU there? Why do they care? Why do they want to stop? There is about to be a religious service burying these 16,000 aborted babies. And ACLU shows up and says, you cannot do that. I mean, you'd think that after they're dead, you wouldn't care. Yet ACLU is there. You know why they're there? Why they're there to oppose any prayers said over these babies, any, any scriptures read? Because if that happens, then that means they are being recognized as human. And the Supreme Court already declared they're not human. That's how far America has fallen. There's also something that happened some years ago. There was the, the police descended upon. They heard some reports of some children. Some children were playing on a bridge, and they were throwing what was thought to be stones from the bridge into the, into the river. So the police showed up to see what these children were doing, ages 4 to 11. And they discovered that the children were actually throwing fetuses off the bridge. They actually had retrieved, these children retrieved 22 aborted babies from a dumpster. And when the police came up and asked them what they were doing, the children replied that they're playing with little people. Now, the corpses, they did bury these corpses over protests from the ACLU. The ACLU you, you said that, no, you can't bury these. This property must be returned to its owners. Now, why do children play with fetuses like stones? It's because our society treats them like stones. That's how far America's fallen. So if you want to wonder how we got where we got, that's the history. That's how we got where we got. Now, I want to go from history to hope. Because I tell you, for the first time, we got a lot of hope. We now have a conservative majority in the Supreme Court. 
And I want to explain to you why that is so important. And I hope you will pray for them. Now, in order for me to explain what that means, I have to explain what conservatism means. And it's a word that's thrown around a lot, and most people that use the word don't know what it means. A conservative is someone who wishes to conserve the basic principles on which our country was founded, the basic principles of the Declaration of Independence that are rooted in the Bible. A conservative wants to conserve those principles. That's what a true conservative is. I mean, it's gotten all kinds of other things added to it. But if you want to know what a true conservative is, it's someone who wants to conserve the principles that God is creator, that he created humans in his own image and likeness, and that there are moral absolutes that forbid one human from killing another. Those are the principles that a conservative wants to conserve. And it's those principles that were the moral framework uh, and foundation of our country. So again, a conservative is someone who wishes to conserve these principles. God is creator. He's created humans in his own image and likeness, and there are moral absolutes that forbid one human from killing another. Now, praise God that many of us have been praying for decades about this, and that God has heard our prayers, and that right now we've been given a conservative majority in the Supreme Court. I really, I urge you, join me in praying for them, because they're getting hammered. And they are going to get hammered. Pray for them to have the moral courage to continue to stand up for what is right. Pray for them to have the courage to overturn Roe v. Wade. I tell you, there's a lot of pressure against them. So pray. That's where we start. That's part of why we continue with our hope of seeing a change. It's going to take a lot of prayer. And we need all hands on deck, so to speak, praying. And by the way, uh, I want to invite anyone and everyone to come on Thursdays at noon. If I'm, if I'm in town, I will be at a prayer meeting in the house of prayer. And one of the things we pray for is our, our country and things like this every Thursday, every Thursday from noon to one o'clock. There's a handful of us in there praying. We'd love to have you join us. It's going to take a lot of prayer. And also pray that God will continue to raise up ministries like Embrace Grace and Metroplex Women's Clinic and so many ministries that we do embrace here that Don mentioned. And vote. And if you're not registered to vote, we want to help you today because we have in our foyer where you can just, you can register to vote. You can get all you need to be ready to vote. And I would ask you when you do vote, Find out what the people you're voting for believe. Find out if they're true conservatives who believe these principles from the Bible that are in our Declaration of Independence. My prayer for Christians in this country is that we would all begin to vote, first of all, and then to vote for the right people. And in my opinion, that's conservatives. And then look for ways to be involved in kinds of ministries that we support. But there's hope. So I've mentioned history. I'm talking hope. But I want to finish by talking a little bit about healing. Because wouldn't it be great to be able to, if you came into church and you were carrying some shame and guilt, to be able to be totally healed from that when you walk out the door? Wouldn't that be awesome? And that's what, that's what can happen today. And that's what I, I urge you 
to take advantage of this ministry time we're going to have in just a moment. But again, for those who have been party to an abortion in any way, encouraged it in any way, involved in one that was performed in any way, assisted in any way, finding full forgiveness and healing in Jesus. And I'll tell you what, the way we're going to do this. And wouldn't it be great is when we came together, we came together as a family, we weren't, and we really treated each other like family. That's what we are. We're a family. We're mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. We're a family. And we're, and we're also not just a family. We're, there's a bit of being a hospital as a church where we come and we get healed. And I just, I believe that there are some here today that you know, this need to be healed. There, there's, some, there's, there's some connection with this subject. But what might keep you from doing it is, is kind of keeping it all in the dark. It's when we bring things in the light, we walk in the light. The blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from all sin, First John. And I know that it's risky to, to, to say, golly, I don't, want, I don't want anyone to know what I've been part of or something. And, but you know, we've all been part of something horrible. We've all, been, we've all sinned horrible sins. We all need forgiveness. But there, there are times where we can just be honest and real and not afraid just to be family and just have a ministry time where we say, if, if you need some healing because of some connection in this, in this, with this subject, and it may be you know, kind of a remote connection, but you need some healing and you're still walking in any shame and any guilt with this burden. Then in just a moment, I'm going to ask you just to be brave enough and honest enough to just come out and let us be family and pray for you and let's get this done. Don't walk out of here with this. There is full, complete healing in Jesus. And we're the body of Christ and this is a hospital and we want you healed before you leave. Some of you might need to go further and talk with somebody and we want to help you there too. But today, I believe God's going to supernaturally do some powerful healing. So I'm going to invite anyone to stand for a moment while we do this. And please don't walk out the doors. Let's just really honor this time. It's a sacred moment. But if you need God to bring some healing into your life in some regard, maybe I had someone come to me one time and say, I actually could have stopped one and I didn't. You know, I could, have, I could have had that one more conversation, but I just, I just didn't do it. I'm, and it carried the guilt for decades. Whatever it is, today, let's just come before the Lord for cleansing. And here's what we're going to do. Joey is going to be just you know, singing a song over us during this time, and Emma's going to just be doing a dance. But her dance is, a, is just asking the Spirit of God to just do ministry. I'm going to move this pulpit out of the way. And those of you that need some prayer about this, Please take advantage of this. Please be honest. Please be real. Please be vulnerable. And let's all be family. There's no judgment here. I mean, if there's any judgment, we're all judged, right? This is family. And we need, but I know there's some people here that you need some healing. And I'm so concerned that you don't, that you walk out and don't get it. So please, please just, just come forth and let us pray for you. God will do it. I know he'll do it. And so let's all, I'm going to pray. And then if you need some prayer, please come down just a moment. Father, we're asking you, would you just make this time, this, this place holy ground, would you make us a holy moment? Come Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? And just letting people be able to just, just be able to be honest and open and receive from you. And would you just really touch everyone's lives as we pray for our brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. And so if you need prayer for this in any way, go ahead and slip out your sheet and come on down.
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiveness, that your forgiveness is full. And I just speak in Jesus' name over all of you today. Your sin has been taken away. Thank you, Jesus. No, no more shame, no guilt. Your sin is taken away, and so is the shame and guilt. And Lord, we also pray as we dismiss, Lord, that you would make us a mighty army across this country those who really would conserve these first principles, stand for them, stand for what is right and true, stand for life. In Jesus' name, amen.